Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hi, everyone. This is Movies IML. I'm Ben Empey. I'm Brandon Kirby. I'm Daniel Crook. We are your favorite film fags, and we are here today to talk about Wonderstruck, the new film by... Greatest living filmmaker Todd Haynes. Who is that again? Um, give or take a. I will qualify it and add in Martin Scorsese and Claire Denis. Um, that's about it. That those are the only names that I'm going to throw in. What has he directed? Contention. I've never heard of him before. What is this Listen, Todd Haynes? Todd directed. Haynes is known for films such as Superstar, the Karen Carpenter oh, story. I've, I've seen that. Poison, great film. Velvet Goldmine. Love it. Far From Heaven. Moved. And drum roll. I'm not there. <laughs> so you're a little off. Good. HBO's Mildred Pierce. Never seen it. And drum roll. An episode of the television series Enlightened. Enlightened. <laughs> Wait, which one did he direct? It's in season two. I forgot what episode it is. It's like episode two season... Ep- is it the season Helen? Is it the Helen six? exclusive episode? It is, no. it is not. I'm gonna start consider di- or uh, consider Helen. It is not that. And then, <gasps> drumroll, Carol, and most recently, Wonderstruck. Um, Wonderstruck is based on the novel by Brian o- Brian O. Selznick, <laughs> as if he's David O. Selznick, the producer. I of think he's his grandson. Gone with the wind, Brian Selznick. Who also wrote The Invention of Hugo Hubre, which was adapted to Martin Scorsese's Hugo. I guess our other best living filmmaker. Correct. They have good taste, I guess. I'm looking or forward to, to taste, Claire Denis tackling one of his Yeah, the next. next one will be Claire Denis. <laughs> the Marvels is his third book, so let's give it to Claire. Denis finally enters the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe. Truly. Um, this is a movie about... Two parallel storylines. One takes place in 1927, and it is fully silent. And we are watching a deaf girl who travels to what? New York. Yeah, from Hoboken to New York. To New York to find her favorite film actress, it appears. Played by Julianne Played by Moore. Julianne Moore. It's all in black and white and has been said. And it is portrayed film. as a silent film, which is different than it just being in black and white. That's right. Specified. And it's told with the same cinematic language of, you know, pre-code silent black yeah. and white films. It's what the artist wanted to be. And it, and, and it includes a really nice Nosferatu reference with the hand shadow. Yeah. Against the oh, wall. that hand shadow. It's really good. And then there's the quote-unquote contemporary-seeming which is, takes place in 1977, 50 years after the original, which is about a young boy from, is it Minnesota? Yeah. From mm, Minnesota. It's Minnesota yes. or Michigan. But it's I feel like not, Bra- Brandon would know if it was in Michigan. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not Michigan. Okay. It must be Minnesota. So it's from Minnesota, maybe Wisconsin. It's from it's Minnesota. It's certainly not Wisconsin. It's from like Glanville, Minnesota, Grayville. It, oh, Jesus. Sure. So he... I can't think of it either. Do I have to Google it? He is struck by lightning. His mother has recently died. He's being raised by his aunt. 
he gets struck by lightning and he goes deaf and he decides to go to New York in search of his father. So it's these two parallel journeys in search of a human adult. As opposed to an alien adult, a parent of some sort. Yes, someone that they look up to. These are human adults of the same variety as Jr., who is a human man. The way he goes deaf, can a human person go deaf? In that, is that possible? Oh man, politifact over here. I'm sure it is. I don't know. That is terrifying. I'm never picking up a phone during a storm ever. Only use your cell phone. We don't use landlines anymore, <laughs> yeah, that's a good so that's point. never gonna happen to you. We don't use oh, landlines. Oh, right. Honestly, though, he was inside, so whatever is, like, metal literally above him is gonna get hit before, because phone yeah. lines at that point were underground. Yeah. So, that's a little... A leap? Yeah, it's a leap. A leap exclamation point featuring music by the likes of Carly Rae Oh Jepsen. my god! <gasps> that's right, leap. Isn't that a Weinstein Company movie? I, I wasn't going to be the one to say it. But we, you yeah. have to bring it up well, every no, time. But uh, I believe that Leap took his name out of the credits. Good which for is them. great. Yeah. They all are. I'm glad Carly yeah. Rae Jepsen got a, a call out on this podcast because Ben doesn't like her. She's fine. Yeah. Speaking well, of fine. Just one of many problems that Ben has when it comes to understanding art. Is I have not understanding many problems. How Carly Rae Jepsen makes us all feel. Ooh. Let's anyway, get into the episode. Um, have I said it all? So um, that's again Todd Haynes, Martin Scorsese, Claire Denis. No one else is in this sphere. Pedro Almodovar, thank you so much. Pedro is great. He's not in this sphere. He is, <laughs> but thank you so much. Pedro is not in this realm. Have oh, you ever oh, seen Love Desire? Oh, I want to say thank wanna, you so yeah. much. You have someone to throw in the ring. No, because he'll oh. just shoot them down. Well, he might be nicer to you. Hmm, that's likely. <laughs> <laughs> Take your best shot. Hit me with your best shot. Nah, I don't have anyone. Greta Gerwig. Where's the Lady Bird episode? All right, I'm done. Uh, what are we, two weeks away from Two Lady weeks Bird away episode? from Lady Bird. Wait, are we actually going to talk about Lady Bird? Yeah. Yes, we, we've... It's in the spreadsheet. It's, it's in the spreadsheet. the spreadsheet? I have been formulating my Warren Beatty argument oh. for actors turned directors, and you completely forgot about it. Two weeks from now. Me, during the Ladybird episode, I'll just be weeping in the Great. corner. I like that what this podcast has turned into is just performative crying. We <laughs> <laughs> do love to cry. All right. All right. Okay, shut up. <laughs> Speaking of homosexuals. Speaking back, and colors. Back to Todd Haynes. Um, we discussed um, expressing our rankings. I'll start because it's absolutely impossible for me to rank them i have a top two and the rest are tied for third um i could probably pick actually like the bottom go yeah go ahead give us I the bottom the yeah. bottom would be velvet goldmine and wonderstruck okay those are my eight and seven and then my one is carol yeah my two is far from heaven okay and then it's very hard, other than that. I get it. When I was doing my rankings, apart from my top three and my bottom two, which is just three films, it became very amorphous because I think about them very similarly, even if they're mm-hmm. about different things. They accomplish what they set out to do in surprising and intriguing ways. I guess I should go next. Uh, I've got it all ranked on Letterboxd. Um, on, <clears throat> is this thing on? Letterboxd.com. Uh, be sure and give me the good follow. Give me the like. Live to log. Log to live. Number eight, Velvet Goldmine, <laughs> Wonderstruck, I'm Not There, Superstar, 
the Karen Carpenter story. Poison, Far From Heaven, Carol, maybe the best film of the 1990s, Safe. Can I look at that? Yes, of course. <laughs> Passing around the phone here, folks. Okay, so... So you haven't seen Dottie Got Gets Haven't spanked, seen Dottie Gets But, like, spanked. that would be really high for me. Haven't seen Mildred Pierce... Wait, what's the, I don't even know what Dottie Gotts Spanked is. It's like a half-hour TV thing. A made-for-TV short. Oh, and it's okay. just a short. So we're... Di- let's just, for this, for the purpose feature of this... Films. Yeah, well, but yeah. Superstar is not quite a feature film. It's just, it, it, it just, as a statement, yeah. as a vision, um, like it's the first film he makes, it kind of captures a lot of the themes he's going to explore yeah. throughout his filmography, including, this is not so much a theme, of course, that's woven into it, but just the medium that he uses to tell his stories. The third act of Wonderstruck has that incredible diorama doll uh, sequence, I yeah. guess. Which completely reshifted my entire thinking on the movie. Same. Wonderstruck is a movie I'm, yes. I, I liked a lot. Yeah. I love parts of it, but overall it didn't affect me. It didn't cut me quite as deep as most of his films do. Right? Yeah. But I can't wait to put the last act as number three on my best movies of the year. The last 30 minutes of Wonderstruck. Perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that, so I've been doing this Todd Haynes retrospective in preparation for this podcast. And every movie of his that I watched, you know, Velvet Goldmine, I'm Not There, which I hadn't seen before. It's always the last 45 to 30 minutes, 30 to 45 minutes that like... That's when it hits. That's when a Todd Haynes film, for me personally, hits, clicks, and becomes brilliant. Like so, so right. Wonderstruck, like you said, Daniel. It for me, it was good. And then that last thirty minutes, I was just, I was a weeping ball of tears. I just want to dig a little deep right off the top. Why do you? Brandon think- hasn't done his ranking though. Oh, can I do my ranking? Okay, but then we're gonna dig deep. Yeah, and then I think we should get we should get the ranking out of the way, and then we'll go. Give me back your phone. I, I, need I a... took the phone back because you were on some tear. And you were uh, on a tear, bitch. I wanted my phone back. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I was on a tear, and then you were on a tear, and I thought I'd take the phone back. All right. So looking at this, because I'm I'm caught off guard on this ranking. So apart from the fact that it's a correct ranking, definitive even. Yours. Yeah. It's very close. So my, our top three are the same. It's very good. Near perfect. <laughs> it's a very good safe, ranking. Safe is my number one. Okay. Carol's my number two. Far From Heaven is my number three. I think that, yeah. yeah um, that's established. That's my number four is Superstar. My number five is I'm Not There. My number six is Poison. My number seven is Wonderstruck, and my number eight is Velvet Goldmine. So how lucky are we to have a filmmaker like Todd Haynes, whose worst movie is still like a near masterpiece? Yeah. Yeah. He's a genius. They're all Yeah. And actually, the reason why Velvet Goldmine, which before, I mean, I also, I think we've all been watching, rewatching a lot of Todd Haynes movies lately. I saw Velvet Goldmine for the first time like three years ago, right when I was working for the first year at a queer film festival, and we were doing a retrospective screening of it. And I was ashamed that I hadn't seen it yet, and I had caught up on it. And it just blew my mind. Um, rewatching it again now, I'm not really that enamored with Jonathan Rhys Meyers' performance at the center of it. And because he's that object of desire that is the fulcrum to the entire plot, yeah. I think that Haynes is exploring ideas of like being disaffected with the way that Bowie changed throughout his career and realizing that there wasn't that much there there to begin with. Mm-hmm. But with Jonathan Rhys Meyers, like, 
I just need a little more meat on that performance bones. But it, anyway, I didn't even want to talk about it yet, but I, it's still a great movie. Yeah, that's fair. I was a little iffy about him, but by by the end, I was like, yeah, all right. I was into it. Yeah. But it, yeah, it was, took a minute. Yeah. Can we pause for it? Is the window open? I think it might be. All right, let's Chat. close it. Let's fix that. Yeah, because that guy was singing over your point, and I was... Oh, it's okay. It, uh, there are two, though. I wasn't even ready to make a point. Check in the middle, because that's where you would push from. Or you can pull it that way. Great. Right. Oh, it's much better. Yeah. Okay, good. Because we caught that. We had a window open, everyone. We can, we can just cut it. I know, but there's like an abrupt end to your conversation and like jumping into another conversation. Oh. We should say. Um, did, you guys, did you guys see um, Ida a couple years ago? I did. I think it ended up winning Best Foreign it Language did. Film, the Polish film. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Oh, it's a great I movie. Fucking Anytime love that movie. someone says open window now, I think about um, what the ant does in the third act of that I don't movie. I remember this. It was too long ago. She jumps out the window. Oh, fuck. Uh, I don't remember that. <laughs> she like, goes about her chores almost in a Jean Dielman esque way uh-huh. and then just walks to the window. Puts one foot in front of the other, steps onto the ledge, and jumps off. I have no memory of that. What do I? It's because it's, but pl- I it's played as so anticlimactic. And right. it's the aunt who I think was my best supporting actress winner that year. Um, Agata, um, fuck, I can't remember her name. Um, but yeah, anyway, that's what Open Windows make me think of now. How that's fun amazing. That scene, Ida. How fun. Oh, I forgot if that movie existed, but yeah, I just like watched it on Netflix. And I, I have a, loved it. like a variety uh, full page ad that I ripped out years ago tacked into my closet so I see Ida every day wow nice. you're reminded every day of that film yeah and now I'm reminding everyone here <laughs> to rewatch the film thank it's you it's a tight 90 it is a tight 90 it's a tight 90 I love a tight 90 that's the best I want to rewind to before I rudely interrupted Brandon's ranking but now that the ranking is out of the way yes. I just want to like jump in a little bit mm-hmm. on Todd Haynes and I want to Go back to what you were saying, Brandon, about these films hitting you in the last act, the last 45, perhaps. Yeah. What is it What is it about the way that Todd Haynes constructs his films that they have such a cumulative impact? I think it's because the first three quarters is so focused on, like, pure filmmaking and form and craft and structure. And then by the, by the final act, you're just hit with this emotion and I we've used the word over and over on this podcast but empathy and you on your letterbox log of Wonderstruck you said film is the whatever whatever is the greatest creator of empathy in the history of the world it's the Roger Ebert quote cinema as a this is not the exact quote but uh, cinema as an empathy generator yes yeah and that I mean that's that is a view I think we all share at the table here yeah and I I can't quite put into words what it is about his films where the third the the final act hits you like the way it does but yeah I have some thoughts as well please someone else take the floor can I I do a broad stroke and then maybe you can fill it in yes so I mean if we're gonna go down the same path I'm sure that we (laughs) I mean I assume that we're sympathetic all the time then we always agree (laughs) We're best friends. <laughs> well, now I'm thrown. Um, my confidence, not just in my point, but in my friendships, has taken. Todd Haynes is very much focused on his mise en scène. Uh, one of the yeah. best things about Carol is how those vibrant reds and greens that are pulsating in every single frame 
are providing this backdrop for these two characters who are falling in love. Um, I think that Carol feels more than any film I've seen re- uh, generates the feeling of falling in love, mm-hmm. right? And it's partly because the fabrics and the colors and the spaces that these characters are couched in, and this is not talking about like the way that it's also oppressive, but the scenarios, or not so much the scenarios, but the sets that he's putting them in are reflecting their own moods and experiences. And by the time the characters catch up to that, we've already been soaking in the mood that's been generated by these things. And so that when the themes and the emotions become more explicit in the third act, he's already positioned us very carefully to have these reactions. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Totally. I think... um, I lost my train of thought. Were Um, we going to say the same thing? It's, it's jumping off of that. I thought it might be. Yeah. I thought it might be. Um, I Aww. think what <laughs> Friendship. <laughs> what makes Todd Haynes the greatest living filmmaker is that he... The film... All the films are, like, intensely voyeuristic. And they really get this feeling that you are peering in on people's lives. And there's no telegraphing of what emotions you are supposed to be feeling until the end and you are just watching these people live their lives and because of that these people feel they don't feel like people in the beginning when you watch far from heaven there julian moore is a very plastic seeming 1950s housewife with her OG and gosh, and my daughter wants to look just like me when she grows up. And isn't that such a lovely idea? And I told you not until you water the garden. Mm-hmm. Wow. That was very good. <laughs> it's very, until like there have to be layers pulled away. And I feel like that is very accurate to life. And so I think we all really relate to the way that these people guard themselves. Two things. One specifically about Far From Heaven. My favorite moment in the whole movie is the f- is right after um, right after Julianne Moore discovers that her husband, the hottest dad around, Dennis Quaid, Whew. is having extramarital affairs with a man. Is when they meet back up at their house later in the middle of the night, and for the first time in the entire movie, they're not talking in that arch plastic manner of speaking. Yes, yeah. You actually, and, and it's even it's more her than him, right. but it is just coming from her gut, and she actually can't even speak. Right. Yeah. And it again, it's a, it's this cumulative impact thing. Mm-hmm. The way that he's designed this world, it's designed for these breaking points, which reminds me of Jean Dielman. Right. And then secondly, oh, um. The way, the reason he's able to do this, he's the way, the reason that he's able to show characters that are not doing anything exceptional, they're just living their lives, and then eventually we realize that they have gone about, gone on about a pattern that when they break out of it, we or when something more explicitly emotional happens, we know exactly why it speaks to them as people, even though he hasn't been so explicit about who these people are, is because he's America's favorite uh, semiotics major from Brown University. Right. It's all about signs, it's all about symbols, it's all about touch. Yep. Handshakes in Todd Haynes' movies mean so many different things. Yeah. yeah. Um, he understands how people act, and even though folks accuse him of being a cold filmmaker, it's only because he's not spoon-feeding you the things right. that we right. already know as right. people living in a society, right? Right. I think... what? Yeah, go ahead. What is... I mean, I think he's a profoundly emotional filmmaker in every movie he's ever done. I do, too. And I think a lot of people often reevaluate his work after a second or third viewing because 
you don't get the emotional impact until the end. You're not yes. asked really to feel anything in the first half hour. Yep. Of most of his movies. Yeah, most of his movies. You're just following. Yeah. For half an hour at least. You're just following. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people get more out of it after. Yeah, there was that whole wave of people calling Carol emotionally cold. That is absurd. And I will say, the first time I saw Carol, it didn't... Again, it like all of his movies, every time I see them, it it doesn't hit until that last like thirty minutes. So I was I it didn't and like you said, we have to see them multiple times. The second time I saw Carol, I was dead. It killed me, it murdered me. But the first time, not quite. I think the reason that you have to see it multiple times is because this is all by design. And yeah, most explicitly in Carol, because this is the big change that he made from Phyllis Nodge's script, is he wanted to pull a brief encounter. So the film's right. gonna be it's gonna open on a scene from another person's perspective of our two characters having a conversation that we can't hear. Which sets up the voyeuristic exactly. yeah. framing absolutely. of the Exactly, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But when that dude walks up to ask Therese if, she need, if she's going to this party, um, we don't know what they're talking about. It seems fairly innocuous. And it's only until an hour and a half later where they have had their affair. It has been severed off with an ice pick, thanks to Harge. And then they have this... Uh, period of separation and it's the first time they're back together and it is so fraught and tense with everything that's been unsaid yeah and then when the guy walks back up and interrupts the conversation it's right after carol says i love you for the first yeah. time fucking and, and, and forget all the potential you. energy that's already hanging in that space yeah but this is the work of somebody who wants to readjust the way you are looking at scenes and characters with context as it goes on right but also wants to challenge the idea of what two people doing something again as innocuous is sitting across the table from one another, what's actually happening. Yeah. Carol is actually the most immediate I've ever felt watching a Todd Haynes film. It was probably the only one that for that on the first time I watched it, like I was just in and it was the greatest thing I have ever experienced in a movie theater still. Oh yeah, didn't you say it's, it's still I've your never, number one? I have never felt... The way that I felt watching Carol for the first time in the movie. Where were you wow. when you saw it for the first time? I was at the Landmark in San Francisco, California oh, San Francisco. with my sister. I was living at home with my parents and Carol was not opening in Santa Rosa until Christmas and it opened in San Francisco like three weeks earlier and my sister lives near San You're Francisco. You're going to drive down the one. So I met that. her. Yes. And um, yeah, it was just transcendent. And it was really, it is because of the voyeur framing. I, it was just like, immediately I know what he wants from me, and I'm going to give it to him. Yeah. And I knew, like, the moment it's a Carter Burwell score on this, like... Uh, it's Sewer a, grate? Yes. It, this, uh-huh. And we're pulling back, and we are following this man into this room. I am in. I am excited. Yeah. It's been seven years since I'm not there, and I was so happy to be in this world and, like, to experience one of my favorite books of all time, being made into a movie it's the best film of the century so far (laughs) yeah i mean that's that's a whole other conversation i stick to my guns that the social network is the best movie that's made social network is fantastic it's up there but carol is my number two and by the time the decade ends i know know i'm gonna switch this around (laughs) i mean i I watched carol for the seventh or eighth time last night and it still hits me in surprise you said um carol feels more like falling in love than any movie you've ever seen ever and i will say that Yes, but more specifically, 
it captures the feeling of riding in a car with a boy that you yes. like. Oh or my girl. god! Thank you yeah. for being more specific because that's exactly what it I mean. Is that that scene. scene, especially that, yeah, with the when the, when the just the way that the sound and the picture gets all woozy and you don't know exactly where you are, but it doesn't it's matter. Magical. It doesn't yeah. matter because you're, you're you are only that, with that person yes. in the car. Uh, and the fact and that it's he, the small details, yeah, like when yeah. she turns on the radio, what her steering wheel looks like and when her hand is on it, mm-hmm. and then it goes from there into the wonderful scene at the Christmas tree lot, right, where she takes those pictures. The car ride, which we don't know what they talk about, right. but we know because we feel that right. they've yeah. fallen in love. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I'm glad you brought that scene up. It is up. a transcendent moment. It yeah. is. That was the background of my computer for a long time, a fade oh, yeah. in the middle. By the way, that, that film, In the Fade, what is this, a documentary about Todd Haynes' use of Sadly, no. <laughs> it is not that. Um, no, I'm glad you brought up that scene. It is That is my favorite scene from... From Carol. From the motion picture Carol. From Should the we motion... talk about Wonderstruck? I was about to say, I'm, to I'm, lo- I'm looking at the clock. Oh, right. We've been talking for about 20 minutes. This is the longest. <laughs> well, it's funny. We've, we've gone so far without actually talking about the... <laughs> when we, when we talking out... about the film of the week. When we outlined this episode, I made a joke of like films to bring up. It was Carol, Carol, Carol. So we're doing what we really came, subconsciously came here to do. Yeah. By the way, I, I, um, I will say that Safe also put me immediately in the heads of the characters from the get go. Mm-hmm. I will say it's not say, just Carol for me, but it's no it's no mistake that those are my two favorite Haynes films. Safe, it's interesting because Safe is my number one over Carol being number two is because Safe did the same thing for me. It put me Safe more immediately put me in in that world and in her headspace. And it's it's the he does it more the, than any other Todd Haynes film. He does it the same way as Chantal Ackerman, and that it's these fixed frames that are prisons yeah. for this character. But he changes it in a way because he does some um, some subtle zooms and some yeah. dolly zooms. And also he plays with color more than Ackerman does. Not not that that's a slight against her. He's a right. filmmaker who's more interested in color. But like the black couches mm-hmm. are so monolithic yes. and imposing yes. on that living room floor. Um, anyway. I'm I'm doing exactly what the opposite of what Ben was trying to do, which was to get us back, or not even back, just get us too wonderstruck, wonderstruck in the first place. I would like to bring up Wonderstruck. I was I was really looking forward to it. I knew it would not live up to Carol. Well, How yeah. could you yeah, live up anything? to you can't <laughs> to one of the greatest movies, full stop, ever made? Um, now we know how Abby feels. Yeah, she could never live up to Carol. That's right. <laughs> Um, Wonderstruck still disappointed me more than I thought it would. Yeah, yeah, and we all we all gave it that heart on Letterboxd too. I did I, like I cried. I didn't give it a heart. Oh, Brandon, <laughs> excuse you. I cried. I did. Trigger I, warning. I I wept, but it's not. It's not my. I have. I have. I have complaints. Okay. I have issues. I have we all have complaints, but before we get into the complaints, I do just want to make a very meta comment in our conversation, which is that I think that we have made one key mistake in all of these episodes so far, which is that we haven't really talked about what the movies we're talking about are about. We haven't really given any synopsis at all. I was going to do that in the introduction this time. Oh, well, and we're going to record the introduction after this. Pardon my amnesia, folks. Uh, <laughs> I forgot that we already handled this. Because I also have made that note. Yeah. But I was, so I'm going to do that in the intro. It can't, you know, these podcast episodes just can't be for fans only. Right. You know? Got to open it up 
That's what that thing is called, right? Fans only. For OnlyFans. Oh, oh, damn the, it. the porn Isn't Twitter. I was trying to make an OnlyFans ref. Yeah, it's OnlyFans. It is the porn only Twitter. Fans. Is that still a thing, or is that over now? I think um, people are still doing I'm it. I'm sure that it's just growing by the minute. Love to pay ten bucks to see a JO vid. Oh. Please me, hand me a wine. <laughs> let me. We have these wonderful <laughs> sippy <whispers>? orbs. Um, <laughs> would, gonna... would you like a Pinot Grigio I think or the Pinot a Rosé? Easier to digest. Here you go. So yeah. So can we please explain the sippy cup of wine? We have these situation. like sippy cup of wines that people gave <laughs> us at work. Make sure to check out our Twitter. Um, the handle is at moviesimo. You can see a photo of the before. When these sippies were stacked yeah, they're in a total sippy cups, individual <laughs> servings of wine. It is the most incredible thing I've ever seen. The they, most the most incredible they taste thing. Like shit. But they don't they taste, taste okay. good. They taste as bad as those Starburst you're eating. But hey, I just want to say the I mo- finished the Starburst. Ben, ben oh. the most incredible. Do you want the last red one? I haven't touched it. I do love red. The most incredible thing I've ever seen is that while you were saying what the most incredible thing you've ever seen is, is we were all unknown to one another. Ripping off the plastic peel <laughs> of our wine orbs at the same time, <laughs> and I l- watched it happen. That's magical. Anyway, so Wonderstruck is a film that has been released into theaters. I would like to posit a theory of why I think it is one of his lesser works. Well, Ben, we're all ears. A film that, by any other filmmaker with their filmographies, would be one of their greatest films. <laughs> Correct. Okay. Can you put it in a less <laughs> reverent context, please? Uh, that made sense to me. I mean, no, if, if, if it's Wonderstruck... Like ep- it's like an episode of The Sopranos. I know you'll get no, no, this that's analogy. Right, that's right. If Wonderstruck was made by... I don't know. Who else could make it? Brett Ratner. Yeah. No. If it was, though. Well, his, his name is about to be talked about a lot, so I'm just putting it out there now so we can For all... What? Well, I mean, he's absolutely one of the next people who's going to go down sure. for sexual abuse. I was throwing out the name because I think by the time this drops, we're going to be talking about him. That would be great. I hope that we are. I hope that we are. Do you know, do you know that be, his, like, his, two, be... his two mentors were like James Toback and, um, fuck, I can't remember the other guy, but um, who also is one of the names that's been... Lobbied around. Yeah, yeah. Can't wait. Anyway. Can't wait for creepy I'll stop interjecting <laughs> how hey. much I... Like worship Todd Haynes. I'll stop. Uh, I'll stop getting us off topic. Um, this is the first film that he has ever done that he did not develop the script. Phyllis Nagy wrote the script twenty of Carol twenty years before he came onto it, but they spent. I don't know how long, but they worked through it very in a very detail oriented like that way. brief encounter moment in the beginning. Yeah, everything else he did, he wrote himself or co-wrote. Yeah, Wonderstruck. He just came on to the script was done. He was like, "Let's do it. Let's go." Which is why we have for the like the shortest amount of time between the Todd Haynes project yeah. that we've ever had. I was wondering just about two that. years. He didn't do any script work. It yeah. just went, and I think that's the flaw. It that is the script that is one hundred percent the flaw. Yeah. Terrence Malick has been developing his own scripts, but now that he's producing them in such shorter frequent or in, in much quicker frequency, he's the diluting the brand. Showing. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Dilute the brand, baby. Yeah. I mean, this Wondershark doesn't dilute the brand of no. Todd Haynes because when it comes he's to- he's at such a level that Wonderstruck as a disappointment, it's still you know, I gave it four stars out of fucking four. It's still a fucking... It's still a magical experience. It's still really, really the strong. The texture is there. The soft focus is there. 
The fades are there. The fades are there. In the fade. I feel like no other filmmaker would have us sit through... I need to look up the names of the characters. The friend... Ben's oh. friend. I remember the lead is Ben because Jamie. it's my name. Jamie. <laughs> we wouldn't... I mean, no other filmmaker would make us sit through Jamie writing out his questions so many times. Yeah, that doesn't work for me necessarily. So, oh yeah, oh right, because Daniel, you have the most critique of the film. So my one... Because, Ben, you mentioned a moment in the film where you said the emotional um, in, impact wasn't earned... Yes. Um, and, and I wonder, is it, because the main issue I have with with the film is is the moment where he's writing the questions to Ben, that whole moment in the... It, it's the argument they have. Yes. Yeah, that, the before he storms off. It doesn't the work for me at all. It doesn't I, I, work for actually, me Actually, I yeah. want to amend the, uh, the caddy aside I just made. I don't have so much a problem with him writing everything out because I think the film does such a great job of putting you in the heads of its deaf characters. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say. Yeah. I think it's really it makes it it makes a really strong point about empathy. Yeah, and, and that, it really helps and, me. And empathy. when I was with when I was being flippant and short just now, like you know, I've had a couple glasses of wine, <laughs> um, but I remember while watching it that because it was taking so much longer to arrive at a point than we are used to as people who can hear and speak. Like, I was so right. thankful for that perspective. Um, yeah, I think it's yeah. really... But let's get back important. to what doesn't work about it, which we, is the... That fight. The fight. The fight does not work. The is fight, insane. The fight makes no sense. Correct. And and that's in the original... I'm assuming it's in the original I'm book. Sure it and is. It's, and, and it's just... It's a children's book. So I'm sure when you take the words of a children's book and put it in the hands of Todd Haynes, that moment is going to feel like, huh? Yep. What? Why? Why are you screaming? There's nothing subtle about it. Yeah. yeah it's and very, it is just like, yeah. why is Ben so upset? It was already nighttime when he told Jamie. Ben doesn't know how to even get to the bookstore. Right. Like, what is he upset about? The fact It that doesn't he, make sense. Yeah, the fact that he was he's upset that, why didn't you tell me sooner? Uh, it, it, yeah. It, it doesn't work, but... In spite of that, the film as a whole still works because it gets you there. The whole sequence, well, everything after it, it that, gets us to the everything third after that is perfect. flawless. Perfect. Yes. Everything after that, once he gets away from Jamie to out the of the, store, the museum, then it that is what the movie is building towards. And then Jamie comes back, mm-hmm. also, which is amazing. It's amazing. And one that was very Wes Anderson. That moment, all of those moments, yeah, where those, like the flashbacks, watching when he's yeah, on the yeah, ground, yeah. oh, popping out behind a car. He's got binoculars and the Boy Scout uniform yes. on. Yeah, what about great. what about the film? A kerchief? There's two things I want to bring up. One is the film's use of uh, music, the the soundtrack. Can we talk about the score before we talk about the soundtrack? I fucking specifically love Carter Burwell. The electric guitars Carter on this Burwell score is the best composer. In music. Which I am happy to say. I agree. And I'm not trying to sound smart, cooler before any, before, you know, a fashionable idea, but I had the Fargo poster in my bedroom uh, in high school, and before I went to bed every night, I would, just like, I had a bunk bed, and then I grew out of it, and then I just slept on the top bunk and like, you know, put like a TV and stuff yeah. where the lower bunk used to be. But my eye would hit music by Carter Burwell on that poster, so uh, I've always been really fascinated by him only because he's been a part of my surroundings. In, in, yeah. in high school, he was anyway. Yeah. He's doing his best work right now. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Which is wild when you think about how in 96, with Fargo, he writes one of the top 10 film scores of all time. Right. And he was, wasn't he a standby for, um, not a standby, a regular 
composer for um, Charlie Kaufman movies, wasn't he? Oh, like, I don't know that, but he did he like did Anomalisa. he did like oh. Anomalisa. He did Synecdoche. He did Being John Malkovich. I fell in love with him. I hope I'm not giving wrong facts. I'm almost certain he did. I couldn't log on to the internet the last time I tried to fact check, so best of luck to you. <laughs> no, I'm. For almost... all we know, the character's name is Jamie. If I'm about to say. His score for being John Malkovich is my favorite, and he didn't score it. I'm going to feel like a real asshole. A heel? Um, anyway, sorry. Continue. I your... can fill the silence by saying that both the electric guitar riffs that I love so much in the 1970s. He did do film. it. Okay, we're good. Okay, so we're confirmed. <laughs> um, anyway, that's the one. I, that's the Carter Billwall score I fell in love with. Mine was Fargo, and I have often been like, that's the score I would want in a movie if I ever made a movie. Yeah. And it was so exciting because I feel like I like lost track of him until Carol, and now I'm so acutely aware of what he's doing ever since then. Yeah, and it's just so exciting that he finally got his first Oscar nomination for Carol, which is insane. 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 By the way, I, I'm looking at the audio right now. It just went from like a really nice somber, like between point one and negative point one, to just filling the screen with purple <laughs> on that right That's there. That's us. I'm trying to. Check if Insert. his name was Jamie. But do you think? Okay, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get so, so off track. The other thing I wanted to bring up, aside from the the music and the score, which I also love the use of um, the song that that goes into the credits, um, and it's the song Space where Oddity. Space Oddity. Yeah, Space Oddity. Um, is is that it? in the credits? No, it's not. No, it it's is not in the credits. It's like it's a. Isn't it a kids choral version of it? Oh yes, that's correct. At the end. Maybe. In, I don't know. Whatever song In the spirit that... of Creep and on the social the network David trailer. David Bowie Ooh. version when he's talking to his mom. What song? And also in, in the spirit of Burn from the Sacred of a Killing Deer trailer. <gasps> burn, burn, burn. So I think my <laughs> problem out, was out. I saw Wonderstruck and then I saw Killing of a Sacred Deer in the same day. And I, 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 I'm stuck on Killing of a Sacred Deer. <laughs> Movies about uh, because I loved it the so heartwarming ways in which families come together or don't. <laughs> like I can't stop thinking about Killing of a Sacred Deer. I wish this episode was about that film. Yeah, well, he is That's the hostess a... with the Lanthimostas. <laughs> um, what am I trying to say? The scene where we see Julianne Moore's character as an adult for the first time walking the streets to the bookstore, which leads to my well, we see her before the first that. time we at see the, her the museum. museum. She's by the Wolf Diorama. The first time for real. I don't fucking know. Later. That's for real. Later. And whatever song plays for her larger entrance. In oh my movie. god, I tweeted about it. Oh, no, it's uh, The Spake, The Surf. Yes. It's the, the it's, 2001 song, but the, the funk remix. But remakes. the funk remix. Thank you. It's not Space Oddity. How great is the funk music in this movie, It's amazing. It's great. When he leaves the Port Authority for the first time. Oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry, the whole point of me bringing up the music is just to say how great it is, and I love it's the amazing. use of it. Because I tweeted about how in 2001 that music is used when man first invents tools, and it also is used as Julian Moore walked into the bookstore, and I feel the same way about both of those They're things. They're cosmically yes. important on the same mankind. exact level. Yes. 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 I don't know where I want to go from, go from here. I want to talk about the way that Todd Haynes explores New York as a place, and I also want to talk about how amazing Julianne Moore is in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she plays three different characters. She plays her silent film actress right. on the screen. Yes. She plays her angry mom silent film actress off the screen, and then she plays the grown-up Rose. Right, she plays like a Lillian Gish and we in ne- Broken Blossoms And we never type. hear her... It, yeah, it, it's a Gish performance, absolutely. Right. We never hear her really say anything. Um, as an adult Rose, we hear like some... She does say like 
when like when the lights go out, she does say like what or something. There is a says, she yes. there is a word spoken. Right. Well, 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 we oh, we learn something. we learn that Rose, who was so ambivalent about learning how to perceive um, a language apart from writing it down as a child has grown into being able to communicate with the outside world and find her place between the Millicent Simmons performance mm-hmm. and the Julianne Moore performance. Mm-hmm. But apart from hearing things like that, it's a completely silent performance, right? And it really wasn't until that magical third act where everything coalesces for me and just is a gut punch. Mm-hmm. But actually, like, a gut punch is the wrong way to say it because it's a punch in the heart. Um, really brought home for me how much she's doing in this movie and in so many different modes too, like whether she's portraying Lillian Gish in that old silent cinema performance style, and then she's a mother who's both overprotective and trying to work at the same time, and then she is just oozing our favorite word on the podcast, empathy, in the third act. Well, that's just Julianne Moore. Yeah. It is. I was thinking about this the other day because that's how I feel about her, but then I think about a movie like Magnolia where the character itself is so intentionally unlikable. Right. And even in The Big Lebowski... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Such an arch character mm-hmm. right? that she's not. She's not always playing in that default mode right. of openness. Anyway, I just think it's a beautiful performance and multifaceted. And it really is. It's yeah. That snuck up on me. Snuck up. I mean, all Todd. Hey, Brandon. Yes. Knocked me for a loop. Thank you so much, Peter Travers, for that <laughs> phrase. If you Google, <laughs> can I? Can I just yeah. go yeah, off? Yeah, give, give a plus <laughs> because. If you Google, in quotes, throws you for a loop, Peter Travers, the number of times he says it for such a wide range of movies, it's hysterical. <laughs> I, I I like Peter Travers, and I'll never forget when I made fun of his 2010 top 10 list, and I was like, ew, your choices are so boring. And he was like, hey, at BK Kirby, if you think... This director, this director, this director, this director reps the bland in film. Please, sir, give me more. And I was like, all right, great. And I made it my cover photo. How <laughs> fun. He's like unseasoned penne pasta. As as <laughs> I'll never forget also when he was the first one to slap Social Network with a four-star masterpiece. It, yeah, no, his, he, his masterpiece label was momentous. When he gave... Why is this a podcast episode about Peter Travers right now? I don't it's know. It's not yet. <laughs> I'm going to take us there. No, one last thing I want to say. When he gave Where the Wild Things Are four stars, I was like, holy shit. No one gave that film four stars. He also gave Faces Places four stars. Okay, I'm done. I have to just quickly say, when it comes to film critics on Twitter adding <laughs> critical users, <laughs> a really good friend of mine um, knocked Richard Roper on Twitter. Nice. And... My friend, uh, his handle involves the words not funny as a descriptor for him. Mm -hmm. And Richard Roper responded saying, you're right. You're not funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's good. And and also, I would just implore both the the two of you at the table and anyone listening to this to look up Richard Roper's video review of Magic Mike XXL, (laughs) which he gives a perfect F. Uh, despite it being what? easy writer for our times, and he is wearing How like Magic Mike XXL and F. When you're Richard Roper, like intellectually <laughs> defunct, he's wearing like a do rag, like a sideways. Well, would cat. you give it an F? No, but I don't like it. But would you all give right. it an F? No, but I don't like it. Okay, this is. But all would to you say, give it? An F? Just, just watch the video review again. I'm looking at our time. Before too long, we're not going to be able to talk about Todd Haynes Ooh, anymore. We've had so a, we've talked a lot. 
Can we, can I say something about our time? I think we can go over an hour. I do too. And I, I so, knew that this was you. I knew earlier I'm reclaiming today, my time. This is going to be the longest episode we've done so far. I think we can keep going. We're not even halfway. I want to say about the film Wonderstruck. I don't really know how to phrase this thought at all, so I'm going to ramble for a little bit. Do it. I just think, I don't know if it is the most original thought that Todd Haynes has ever committed to film, but it is one of the most amazing, is the way at the end of the film, in the diorama, Mm. Julianne Moore is like, I have pieces of your father in the diorama, and it is probably what it's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen about like the way that we put ourselves into our work and the way that we put ourselves into our art and like she literally has her entire life story in this diorama of New York City and I'm getting chills just trying to explain it yeah. I'm like covering my face mm-hmm. I'm yeah getting kind of emotional for the mere thought of it that I think it was actually that um, exact moment where my like quiet tears streaming down my face turned into just like weeping. Mm-hmm. That think, was the moment for me. Um, yeah, that's a great moment. To I think out. it's no mistake that the artifacts of Danny, her son's life being hidden inside of her art. I don't think it's any mistake that this is the moment, the two narratives of the silent film and the Oaks Fegley portion finally come together because underneath the one building she picks up in the, in the present tense anyway is the drawing of the wolves that he did mm-hmm. as a child at his mm-hmm. father's funeral, and he d- that he doesn't even remember. Right. I, I'm all I'm saying is not only is it a beautiful sentiment in the way you express it, but it is the hinge that the entire movie rests on. Yeah. Those last thirty minutes. I'm just gonna are sigh. perfect. It's it's. Yeah, I need I need to revisit the movie because I I will say like. You know, the movie's two hours, probably an hour into it, I was like, where are we going? Right. I, I was getting a little, okay, well, all right. The two I, I, stories but, don't always they don't blend together here, as correct. much as you want them yeah. to. Yeah. But, at, but at the same time. There's a lot of, like, what is the silent story here for? And when you think yeah. about, well, I actually prefer the silent story. No, I actually did too, but it is like, Ben is clearly the protagonist, Yeah. so why are we... Doing this, m- yeah. So I, I want Br- I want Brandon to keep talking. What, what I want, just to to finish my Are thought. Are you saying it, that I'm loud? To no, me? I'm saying that we both want to talk about this other thing, but it's really rude that we cut Brandon off. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? No, just really quick. As much as I was getting antsy or a little fidgety in my seat, or thinking like, okay, where are we going? Where are we going? How are these going to connect? Um, I knew because it's a Todd Haynes film that the ending was going to be worth it. And holy shit, was it worth it. And I knew that because it was him. So I think that says a lot about him him as a film. You trust him. That's exactly right. You trust him. And there's many moments. I was watching, you know, I'm not there for the first time. Oh my God, I forgot. We haven't talked about it. So Maybe now is the I'm not there portion of the conversation. Because I also have things to say. I'm Not There was another film where, you know, I'm not very familiar with Bob Dylan. I'm not, I'm not listening to Bob Dylan on my own time. I don't know much about Bob Dylan. Sorry. but Apologize to me. Look <laughs> at me because I'm a super fan. Sorry. I've seen him in concert. Same. Twice. When? Sorry. Which tour? 
uh, I don't remember, 2006 and 2009? Okay. Oh, we probably saw him on the same tour in 09. Okay, my point is... The, the, the Traveling Through Together album, or whatever yeah. it's called. Yeah, okay. And this film like came out at like the perfect like peak Bob Dylan moment in my life. 2000, okay, 2007. Can we? Okay, well, just sorry, we're talking Brandon, over yeah, you again. Yeah. <laughs> really, just really quick. Just same experience I had with Wonderstruck. My my confusion and like, oh, these pieces, these these Bob Dylan personas are they're, they're all there. They're what's what's going to happen? Again, the last thirty minutes, I was like, this is a masterpiece. Yeah, it's an ecstatic coalesce. It yes, I, they all of his movies coalesce in that third act. I understand. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. H.W. I don't want to say his name even. The former president did not e- did not want the Richard Gere portion. David Copperfield to make it into the film. Why? Oh, that H.W. I got my sexual abusers confused. Correct. The one that his only name is H.W. So why didn't um, why I don't didn't, remember? But why I just didn't know, why didn't that person want it in the movie? I just know he didn't. I don't remember. The is story he Voldemort? I, I actually don't know who you're talking about. Harvey Weinstein. Also. Okay, I, <laughs> I thought so, but I wasn't sure. Harvey Weinstein didn't want the Richard Gere section in the movie, and I don't remember why. But Todd the heart, stuck well, to his guns. Well, he should have. Why would I why agree? Would I want to. Okay, I, I actually want to go back to what Ben and I were interrupting you upon. <laughs> yes, please, <laughs> because, And then I want to get back to the Richard Gere portion, because Divorce of Harvey Weinstein, we need to talk about how the best and worst qualities of that film are embodied in the same segments. But I would agree, yeah. I want to talk to Ben about Bob Dylan transforming your life in your teenage years, yeah. in high school. Just, you know, putting a... Stick a dynamite in what you thought artistic expression was and who you could be and what you could look like and what you could sound like. Right? Yeah. Because I feel like... I'm, I, it really is, changed me. This is how everybody feels who gets into Dylan right. in their teenage years. Right? And you're just like, I can be a rebel. I can be a rebel and I can also speak truth to power. And, and, I, I and, and it's a stream of consciousness thing. And I, I, don't need to edit, I don't need to edit myself. Yes. I can just be an artist. I'll never forget. This is going to be really fun when my mom listens to this. My mom, like, discovered condoms. I was, like, 15 <laughs> that I had. I wasn't having sex, but I had the condoms. You were prepared. Yeah. I'm thrilled that you are the one who is embarrassing themselves the most on my and... episode. <laughs> Not me. And we, she discovered the condoms. And that night, I literally laid on my floor for, like, four or five hours and just listened to Blonde on Blonde on repeat. <sighs> As and seen in the film Wonderstruck. Yes. Did, did you see that? That's right. In the book, in yes. the Kincaid's bookstore yes. at the end. I noticed that. 
You should know I'm looking directly at Ben, and I should have been looking at both of you. Wow. Yeah. Jerk. Rude. Okay, just because I'm not... Can I say, though, You're the fact that, I, head. that I, I'm not a Dylan head, but the fact that I got so much out of that film in spite of being a Dylan head, again, speaks... Because it's just so good. Again, speaks to yeah. how good Todd Haynes is. So yeah. there you go, there you go. All right, continue your sidebar. Okay. And him just... Let, your let, main no, bar. No, no, let's I'm bring it back. No, 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 no. Okay. <laughs> Listening to Blonde and Blonde that night... <laughs> You're breaking my heart. I just want to say Blonde and Blonde that night, like, really spoke to me and made me feel like it wasn't the end of my life that I had condoms that my mother discovered. That's incredible. Yeah. I can't wait to one day dis- you know, discover Bob Dylan for myself. I have... I would be happy to give you the MP3s. I have more <laughs> albums records. by Bob Dylan than anyone, anyone else. else. Me too. Like, 30-something. Yeah. Same. All um, of them. Because on iTunes... I haven't been on iTunes in forever because Spotify exists, but I remember... Um, Apple Music user. Oh, good for you. <laughs> On one of the updates, when you would scroll down by artist, it would say how many albums you have and how many songs, and Bob Dylan far outweighed my entire sure, library. Sure, sure. I feel like a fucking square not having, uh, not being a fan. Not, not that you I'm not a fan, I just haven't gotten for, into forget it. Forget who got to the party first, because the thing about Bob Dylan is you can always show up to the party. Right. Let's bring it back to the work. Let's bring it back to the text. So the to only reason I brought the, to I'm not there. Oh, um, right. We're talking about I'm not there. <laughs> The only reason I brought it up is because it sounds like, I mean, you're... Kate Blanchett's double Academy Award nomination. Yes. Double? Yeah. She was nominated and, for Elizabeth. And you've all forgotten about age. the other movie that I interrupted you on. But uh, Elizabeth the Golden Age. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to speak over you. Hmm. But I was just going to say, everyone forgets... I too can command the wind, sir. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> That's pretty good. I, I, was, I was, you know, just kind of emotional seeing Heath Ledger on film again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he's really good in that movie. Char- Charlotte Gainsbourg. The best performance in the movie is not by an actor playing Bob Dylan. It's by Charlotte Gainsbourg. Charlotte Gainsbourg. Oh, I think it's Julianne Moore. Okay, you actually don't okay. think that that's Ju- the best performance no, no, in the movie. No, no, Julianne Moore. She's playing John Baez. I know, I think it's great. wonderful. It is wonderful, but the best in the film? It delights I, me. No, 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 no. I love those Charlotte Gainsbourg, segments. Bruce Greenwood. No, it is Kate Blanchett, I'm sorry. And then Kate Blanchett. I would say it's Kate Blanchett. Well, Kate Blanchett's performance is... Did Bob Dylan have long nails in that era of his life? I don't know. He was very outre. Yeah. Because I would extend his nails. The one stupid thing that was distracting me during the Kate Blanchett portions was um, her nails. And I was like... I'm sure that is period specific if it's in the movie. It must be. The movie's like, quite meticulous on yeah. the look and it, feel of it. Yeah, so I, I thought for a, a blip, I was like, did Kate Blanchett refuse to like trim her nails? What the <laughs> fuck? But I'm sure like Bob Dylan, it was very... I'm sure I'm it was... Sure it is. Brandon, I don't think it's cool that you're fabricating this narrative that Kate Blanchett is a difficult actress. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't mean to. I just saw the nails and I was like, oh, interesting. He had long nails. Anyway, Kate Blanchett gives the best performance of that film. I agree. I Second, Kate. you agree with Ben. Because I, I, I listed two that I like more oh, before well, Kate Blanchett. Well, but I also like Charlotte Gainsbourg. And by the way, that's fine. I'm just making sure that the record is clear. But that, I also like Charlotte Gainsbourg. She's very good. She breaks my heart. She does. The, the scene when on she, the the like lunch scene with the paparazzi. Yes. Yeah, sorry. And, and Heath Ledger's. And he's uh, like, I'm just uh, Heath Ledger's he's Dylan a... is just saying the most misogynistic, terrible mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And she is realizing she's hearing for the first time her husband say these things. She has her child wrapped up on her at this moment that she has with the Heath character. It's a heartbreaking scene. It is. Um, anyway, we can talk about something else. All I wanted to say was, I was a huge Dylan fan when this movie came out. I saw it at the London Film Festival, and oh, I wow. hated it. In London. And I hated it. What? You hated I'm I Not hated There? It. 
Yeah, and the reason why... I could see that, though. I mean, it's a, it's a tough one to crack. In 2007, my main concern was, how many Oscars is this going to get nominated oh. for? Like, oh. I, I was willing to engage with a difficult film. Um, like, if you had shown me Autumn Sonata at 16, I would have been lit because everybody was yelling so much. Like, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf was maybe my favorite movie at that time. But nice. when it comes to challenging editing or just... Honestly, just throwing narrative by the wayside, I didn't have any experience in it. And then on top of that, I was a Dylan fan. I had really dug into the music, but I had not really dug into the biography. Mm. And now I watch it as someone 10 years removed from my first experience. I haven't watched it. I watched it at, how old am I, 26? I watched it when I was 16, and then I watched it now. And now that I know the more the periods of his life a little more completely, I know about the motorcycle accident. I know about when he went electric at the Newport Folk Festival. I know about all his marriages. I know about when he became a born-again Christian. It all makes so much more sense to me. Yeah. But I was just a stupid teenager who didn't totally get what the movie was saying. Well, a lo- I feel like a lot of the critics at the time were also stupid teenagers because if you look at the reviews, they're not great. They're I mixed. mean, they're, they're mixed. Well, I, I mean... Which is... Fascinating, I, I, which is fascinating, and I wonder yeah. with Wonderstruck. I don't think it's gonna be the same situation. I don't it's, think you're gonna look Wonderstruck back. Wonderstruck is on Wonder... not nearly as ambitious. No, no, no. Although yeah. at the same time, it kind of is. So uh, that's the other thing I want to bring up. Roger Ebert. Roger Ebert would have loved Wonderstruck. He gave it three and a half. Yeah, he gave I'm not there three and a half. And a lot of people. I mean, A.O. Scott loved it at the time, but there were like dumb critics who were. like, I found it very moving this? as someone who is still quite young, but on the wrong side of twenty five, who has changed their face. So mm-hmm. many times over the last 10 years or so, yeah. since the first time I saw the film, that I can't help but relate to that faction of it. Right. I want to bring bring the conversation back to Wonderstruck just for this question, which I don't have the answer to. I don't know if there is an answer, but is is there ways in which Wonderstruck is a culmination of Todd Haynes' previous work? Because I, I see I elements... I think we can talk about that. I see elements of I'm not there in it, yeah. because the looks of the two periods are... Totally so specific. So specific. And also, like, and also poison that we're telling parallel yeah. narratives parallel. that yeah. are tying into one another. Yeah, in so I think way. there's a lot. Stop motion animation. We got Superstar going on. Oh, I love the stop motion. Mm-hmm. I, su- well, yeah. is not stop motion. No. Well, well it, it, it kind of is. It's but dolls. It's, yeah. It, he I, had to photograph it in No, no, no. Way. I'm sorry. That's exactly right. I, I'm just getting hung up on the fact that Something that I love so much about Superstar is the close-ups on the dolls when they're right. not moving at all. But right. yes, they are. The first time we see Karen, she's moving in her bedroom. Right. So I'm sorry, not to derail. Superstar. I, I want to bring up Superstar now. It is so good. It's I such do, a beautiful little experiment. It's is also is there like a definitive rip of that's a great question to watch because I, no, I was and it I, just looks like garbage. But you still get it. Yeah. Okay, so Daniel, you watched it twice recently. I watched it two days in a row. So the on the rip that you watched on YouTube, could you read those interstitial titles? There's I could, no I, stroke I, on I, them. I could so read it's... all of the interstitial titles apart from the one that is detailing the ways in which anorexia is both a symptom of patriarchy and a fight against it and that women are taking control of their bodies. Mm. It's the idea that it is both a... It's a fascism of the body in which you are both in control and the victim of yourself. Right. That's told over a pan, or a tracking shot, rather. Of groceries. Right. And the color of the text, because it's not quite as pronounced and and not as clearly defined, the letters themselves, 
they blend in with the groceries that you're going past. I think I was watching a shitty rip because any I mean, I was watching a shitty rip too. Like I couldn't read it. Yeah, but and how great? Like how great is it though that Todd Haynes has interstitials in pretty much all of his movies? Whether or not it, it divorces from the narrative itself, like it does in Poison, it does in Superstar. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the idea of text on screen, and he is giving us the ideas he's going after, but it doesn't feel prescriptive. It's just an additional dash of spice yeah. on the whole thing. Even in Wonderstruck, you've got that wonderful quote about everybody's in the gutter, but some of us are looking at the stars. Yeah. Which is Oscar Wilde. That's I've right. And, and, and that's the Velvet Goldmine tie-in. <laughs> Oh, yes, Ooh. it is. Oh, we haven't even that. talked about Bubba Goldmine. All of our least favorite Todd Haynes films. But still amazing. But amazing. So amazing. So Can I swoon for a second? So Please. Tony, Tony Collette is one of my, like, all-time. Oh, incredible. It's incredible. All-time favorite actresses. Meanwhile, she's been one of my all-times for, like, ten years. She's She has never given a false note. And I, that's right. Well, and I'd I, never seen her Velvet Goldmine performance. One of which her is, best. Which is one of but I want to talk about false notes because when we first meet the Tony Collette character, the introduction is that she's an American who marries Brian Slade and then immediately puts on this fake, obnoxious, like, yeah. and she goes in and out of it. Well, and I love it. She goes in and out of it, but then when we meet her in the present tense and Christian Bale sits down to interview her and she's just talking in the most placid Midwestern accent. Totally. And she clearly doesn't give a shit and realizes that the whole life that she lived before was one of flash, but not necessarily substance. Yeah. Not not because the art that she was soaking in wasn't of that same substance, but because, you know, Brian completely threw her out to the dumpster. That, that first um, introductory scene of her, I was so lit. Amazing. When she's up on the mic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, my, I wish that... The, well, I'm making a, cons- a concerted effort not to talk over Brandon anymore. So no, please talk over me. I don't know what I'm saying. No, I'm actually, time. I'm actually just gonna whatever I was gonna say is just gonna go into the dust heap of history. Continue, oh, wow. please. Oh, that was no. I have nothing more to say. I, I love just, I just, drama. I just love. It's not drama. I'm saying that I'm trying not to interrupt. Well, I don't mean Brandon. like drama in the like hashtag gay Twitter vernacular, but just like oh, just is, hyperbole. This is conflict. <laughs> This is okay. this that's... is Greek tragedy. <laughs> We've that... lost whatever you were going to say. Oh, that's sweet of you to bring it it's back. It's gone. To what I was going to say. I thought you were saying that. That's what I was saying. I thought you were saying the the act of me shutting up was in contention with Brandon. No. Guys, all I wanted to say was that I love Tony Collette in this film. Same. Which which Todd Haynes haven't we touched on? Poison. Touched on poison. Let's talk about I'm poison. sure that Ben has something to say about poison, specifically the loogie orgy. Yeah, fuck yeah, <laughs> talk about it. I was I wanted to bring up, especially because Wonderstruck is a film for children. As is poison. Is it? How do we feel about no. the way that <laughs> LOL. over the past 30 years and in terms of explicit content and i don't mean explicit content in like the parental advisory sticker on the album but just explicitly his films are less transgressive yeah and i like they are not implicitly far from heaven is still a very transgressive movie so Mm -hmm. is carol Mm -hmm. but they are Mm -hmm. not explicitly sexual in the way the poison is they're more transgressive against the cinematic language they're presenting yeah rather than 
explicitly showing you an erect penis. Right. Yeah. In Poison. Poison is, I mean, Poison is the definitive movie of the new gay cinema. Yeah. It is. Fuck you, Jesse Helms. Yeah. It is this movie that sparked so much fervor in the American public to censor what they were trying to do. It caused, like, the National Endowment for the Arts to, like, go on a review. But he's never made a movie like that again. Well, he's never made a movie quite as um, explicitly daring as that Mm -hmm. again. Because the subtext of his films are always quite subversive. Right. Um, But going from Poison to Safe is the first introduction of... God, I don't know quite how to describe this. But Poison is so hard on its sleeve. Um, There's plenty of subtext there, especially on the horror section. Um, But stylistically, he's going balls to the wall. And in Superstar, from the get-go, especially with the voiceover talking about Karen Carpenter's doomed fate, he's just pummeling, pummeling you with the idea that this is going to rock your world. And Safe is restrained. And yet packs a more poisonous punch than any of his films leading up to that. But mm-hmm. the style shifts, I think. Like, yeah. it, it all becomes, as you were saying, like, this is just a long wind up to say I agree with you. Like, the, the presentation goes from explicit to subtextual. Yeah. And from poison to safe. I would love to yeah. see him at this point in his career where he's, he's essentially royalty in the industry. I mean, we'll see after the box office for Wonderstruck. How right? was it? It's it, okay. it doesn't even count. Not that. great, Bob. It doesn't even count. Right. It is just like, it's <laughs> Let's okay. get box office mojo on the horn. <laughs> At this point. It's okay. But I was would love Carol? to see him. What the... was Carol? Carol made a shitload of money. Really? Why? <laughs> I mean, no offense. It's a, like... No, because, because the Weinstein Company, the Weinstein Company uh, <laughs> promoted the shit out of it. They yeah, did yeah, yeah. promote yeah. the shit out of it. I, I believe that they used Rooney Mara movie. as the face of immigration before what? Sonny Pawar and Lion. I believe that that was the way that they brought the ad campaign home. Jesus. And it's just, they really, like, it made $50 million. I used to know the exact figure. 48, 100,000 something. Is, so as we all know, Carol got horribly snubbed. But most, you know, pictures that go on with that sort of legacy. Do you mean the Academy Awards? Yeah. Get snubbed. Mm -hmm. But is Wonderstruck an Academy contender? No. I mean, maybe in Below the Lines. Only if it makes money. It's one of those that it's like, if it makes money... It's not going to make money. The ad campaign's been nil. The trailer was not that enticing. I didn't even watch the trailer. Well, you watch the trailer as a Todd Haynes fan and you pick up on the colors and the textures. I was. I saw it at the Landmark with a Q&A with Todd and the audience... Todd Haynes? Yes. Oh, okay. I just wasn't... I didn't know that you were on a first-name basis. <laughs> I mean, I'm him. I am him. Ben is his is the world's biggest Todd Haynes fan, so he can call him Todd. Yeah, sure. I just didn't know they knew each other, that's all. With Todd. <laughs> and... Christine? Was Christine? she there? Christine was oh, in the front row drinking you. a beer out of a glass. Amazing. Mm. Um... Did you go up to her and say, why'd you block me? <laughs> no. When did killer films change their name to killer content? 
Oh, I didn't know that. It's always been killer films. It's killer content. Ew, why would they change it from film to content? Yeah, I'm reading Shooting to Kill right now, and I'm not willing to say bad things about her because she's sort of changing. She's, like, blowing up my mind right now in terms of financing a film. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm on the budget chapter right now, like, going line by line. Yeah. It's very instructive, and I think she's great. But there was a slate. Why the fuck did you go from films to content? Did you know that it was posted today? Was it in a? I bookmarked it. Good lights or no? It was an interview with her. Yeah. Okay. And it was like how she's managed to like make movies about women for twenty five years. It's amazing. I didn't finish it. That's awesome. But I'll send it to you guys. We'll put the link in the bio Um, of the episode. What I was going to say is it was like a film spotting (laughs) reference. (laughs) Re. The Academy. The yes. landmark is so, like, the Academy's demographic. And everyone was so into everything he was saying. It is, it could be one of those things where, like, Q&As, like, if he does enough with enough people, he'll get the technical nominations. Yeah, but think about how many people you can put in one cinema at a time versus it's how true. many people are in the Academy. Silence didn't do it. No, not at all. And when you've got, like... And, like, I think that's a good... Think about all the movies that are going to come are. out strong... Um, and by strong, I mean not... Actually, I should just rephrase everything I'm saying. Like, movies that are not quite as buried as Wonderstruck. Like, movies that are more explicit in what they're doing and a little more showy with their technique. You got, And I think from your Dunkirk's, your Darkest Hours. There's only five slots for Best Director, you know? Right. Yeah. And Oh, I didn't think he was going to get that. I was well, thinking no, but, but maybe the, the picture. Reason I, the reason I think a Best Director is because if Haynes is doing these Q&As and if he's going to transform people's minds, like, right. they'd want to honor him as well. But right. I don't think that's happening. Right. I also um, don't think this movie's going to get nominated for Best Picture. I don't either. I don't think it's going to make any money. For, for a moment in time, people thought it, it might get nominated for Best I Picture. I think looking with hindsight, now that it's out, I mean, it's only been two weeks and in extremely limited release, but in hindsight, I think the fact that it didn't win a single award at Cannes really yeah. speaks to but how you know people what? are going to feel about this I, movie. I just yeah. uh, reviewed this today. Um, what is it? Screen International that does the grid every year mm-hmm. um, with the competition at Cannes. Where they've got, yes. let's say, eight or nine top film critics. You've got, like, your Stephanie Zaharics and your Guy Lodges. I think he's on it. Um, but a, a nice international spread of critics. Mm-hmm. And they assign one through four stars for every film that's playing in competition. And then they have a winner every year. And it's a very, I mean, very, like, hoi polloi. Uh, or, I'm sorry, not hoi polloi at all. Like, pinky in the air. Yeah. Um, evaluation. And Loveless. And you weren't really here mm-hmm. you, the were li- never really you were never really here the when the hell's that coming out next year. not till 2018 yeah. anyway this yeah. is all to say they were tied for first but wonderstruck was third oh so it actually even oh. though it didn't win any awards it can critics i like really like yeah this movie. well what was the thing that manola dargas said about it that that you i love so obsessed much with uh, let's keep talking while i look that quote up exactly yeah because i think that quote is what i was trying to say at the top of this episode with how the third act sneaks up on you and i think that's exactly what she says i mean um, i love manola dargas same doesn't she live in la she does yeah that's the manola, best thing about we love i've you. often wondered is she part of the la critic circle then Oh, I know the answer to this um i don't at the moment but i, I, but I looked it up one time that. is what i mean I, I just wish we could talk about sacred deer sorry i'm done <laughs> wow me, no yeah. i love todd haynes but i i'm just like now for the rest of my life i'm going to tie wonderstruck brandon with, brandon with sacred deer because i saw them on the same let day. me let me tell you a secret when i was a child 
Okay. I entered my father's bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, rumor has it that you were just cackling in the theater during that secret. No, 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 no. Telling. No, my audience erupted in laughter as soon as Colin stopped talking about his secret where he... It's the movie's I, a comedy. I, I don't want to give a spoiler. Yeah, of course. But give a spoiler. But, we're spoiler filled here. No, but I mean, like, we're gonna. We've already spoiled so many things. Like, Killing of a Sacred Deer has barely rolled out. I feel like I was gonna fucking vomit on the first okay, shot. Okay. All I'm trying to beam. say is that as soon as he finished his story, and then it cuts to Bob's reaction, where he's like, "I don't have a secret." Like, that's when my <laughs> audience, like, all that pent up tension erupted humor. into laughter. Um, yeah, humor's My bad. one last quick story about because audiences during Sacred Deer, it's such a specific movie, and like you get such fun reactions. When when Martin bites into his own arm, <laughs> this woman, and we had such like extreme stadium seating, I could see everyone's reaction. This woman just like how she was like, <gasps> and like collapsed into her boyfriend's <laughs> arms, and then the boyfriend like looked around. <laughs> <laughs> and you saw it too. I saw the whole thing. He was it looking t- for people like you. It took me out of the movie just for a second, but it was like part of the fun. Anyway, I love Sacred Deer. Okay, back. To- ben, did you find the quote? I did, but also I would like to say, friend of the pod, Sam Herbst, texted me. I love the okay shut up in your podcast. Oh. So I just want to shout out to that since I'm on my computer. Thank you, Sam Herbst. Also, that is a reference to Kesha's woman. Yeah. I'm seeing Kesha in concert on Wednesday. I can't wait. Oh, I'm my God. thrilled for you, yes. Brandon. Thank you. Okay. Okay, shut up. What <laughs> Manola says in her New York Times review is, part of the pleasure of Mr. Haynes' films, which includes I'm Not There and Carol, is how he deploys intellectual distance as he plays with cinematic form, considers identity, and upends cliches. Elsewhere, this can come across as dreary, even programmatic, yet because Mr. Haynes also leads with his characters rather than his ideas, his films gather force until, at times with near-violent ex- near suddenness, they become devastating, skin-pricklingly alive. I think that's how we all feel about Todd. That is Todd. <laughs> First name basis. Are we out of wine? Todd Field? <laughs> Uh, I am on my last sippy cup. We're out of... All right, so we I'm... go through eight sippy cups of wine? <laughs> and and I, I, I brought about three quarters of a bottle of Rioja as oh well. I think that means the yeah. podcast well, needs to end. I, I was going to say, in summation, Manoa nails it. I don't think she that does. we touched on everything she said, but if you were to take the one hour and ten minutes, I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know what this is going to look like when it's done. But, uh, you know, freeze-dry that, suck all the air out of it into a good right. paragraph. That's it. We hit, no, no, no. We hit some of it. And I think that's fine. That's why Manola's paid the big bucks at so, New York Times. So, Ben, I know that you're in charge of this episode, but I'm going to ask one more question of everybody. Or not so much a question, but I'm going to give everybody one more chance to say one thing that they love about the Todd Haynes filmography. Whether it's a specific film or a continuing theme, like this is your last chance. Like, what's left? What do you need to say? Let's start with Ben. Who knows Todd Haynes intimately? <laughs> yes, I do. Um, I love that Todd Haynes is not afraid to highlight the emotions of women. And in my most favorite films, such as Mildred Pierce, which we didn't talk about because neither of you have seen it, which is a shame. I'm starting tonight. Um, Same. 
There's a bug on your wall. I told you there's a bug infestation <laughs> that my landlord will not deal with. Yeah, that looks like the tarantula on the uh, very upset. against the white on I'm not there. And I need oh, him. Yeah. That's a great reference. He my landlord needs to deal with it. Anyway. Um Sorry. That sounds like an environmental problem. It is. Safe it's reference. My environmental sickness. Um I love that the women in Todd Haynes films often start as characters, even, we could call them, which is all, which is what I think that uh, straight men often think. I'll get to you. I'll call on you in a minute. Let me finish, Daniel. Um, <laughs> I think I've lost it. He starts with personalities of women that are what the common psyche in America thinks a woman should be, is, is supposed to be, etc. And he really is able to dig in and figure out who they really are, and it's a really powerful and beautiful thing that he can do. Are you calling on me? Yeah, go for it. I don't Bitch. Know. This isn't even, uh, I'm not trying to hog the mic. Just that I agree with you, and that makes me think of the protege and poison. Oh. That's all. Great. <laughs> I'm just going to say that um, he's a filmmaker who can take his time with every film he makes because he knows at the end he's going to just punch you in the face and make you feel something. <laughs> um, but he's so metic- meticulous and detail-oriented and he's singular. He is... Brilliant. Yeah, and I just... Doing this deep dive of... Not a deep dive, but like a dive of his work that I haven't watched before just illuminated that for me. I think that the reason we all love him so much as gay men who have been gay men since birth and have grown up in specific environments where we were living on the margins of what was acceptable and the ways that we were told to behave... I think that we connected Todd Haynes' filmography because each character in all of his films is bucking up against whatever their environment is telling them they should be or how they should behave. So whether it's Carol and it's this love story in the shadows or whether it's Poison with um, like specifically the horror chapter and the mad scientist. I just love how much he tells stories about outsiders and how vividly and specifically he draws the environments they live in and how no matter how benign they seem they are slowly sucking the lives out of these people and in wonderstruck we have these two deaf protagonists who are very viscerally struggling against a world in which they don't communicate in the same way so when you have the millicent simmons character who writes her note by the way nothing makes me emotional like children's handwriting when she's saying where do i belong and then oh, tosses yeah. it on top of the meteorites. Ugh. That is every Todd Haynes character on a yeah. piece of loose leaf paper. And that's what I love most about him. Um, I love the meticulous mise-en-scene. I'd like to piggyback off this. Oh, well, I wasn't quite done, but oh. I'd be... Uh, <laughs> you I, can continue. No, I, 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 only had about, I only had about four more minutes of carefully measured pauses. <laughs> but uh, I'd love for you to take... Why don't you take over, Ben? <laughs> Um, I love being bitchy on the mic. <laughs> I think 
Something I've been thinking about the past couple days gearing up for this is that I think Todd Haynes is the heir apparent to Alfred Hitchcock in the way that he... <laughs> Sorry. Was that a scoff? <laughs> I just don't understand. That was a scoff. In the way that he controls mise-en-scene and in the way that he constructs his narratives and in the way that he portrays people not necessarily as human beings in the beginning, but they are human beings by the end. Specifically, I think Todd Haynes is really closely linked to Shadow of a Doubt, Strangers on a Train, Rear Window, and Vertigo. And I think he so often shows as a character who is trying to be what society tells him to be. This is what comes from what you were saying, Daniel. And they are unable to be what society tells them to be because it's not who they are in their heart. And I think that's what most Hitchcock movies are about in their core. And I think that's what Todd Haynes is able to bring to the modern era. And then eventually they find their own space away from it Mm -hmm. or they fall victim to it. Like Julianne Moore and Safe versus... Carol and Therese and Carol. Yeah. Didn't mean to scoff. Just You did scoff. Didn't mean to scoff. Caught the scoff. Baby. Also, most Alfred Hitchcock movies are not suspense movies, but melodramas. And therefore... Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Most of those really tie into what Todd Well, Hayes did you know? I think that... I wouldn't dare interrupt you, Brandon. <laughs> what do you have to say? No, I, I, what I'm about to say is really dumb. But remember when that TV spot in the Midwest that went around with Carol framed it as a thriller? Yes. So, oh, God. So Todd Haynes made a thriller, motherfuckers. Yeah, every time I see the scene where she draws the gun <laughs> yeah. on Tommy Tucker, who plays Rose's brother in Wonderstruck, by oh, the way. Yes, that's right. Corey. Corey. Who is also in Olive Kitteridge, who is... What I went for Halloween as that year. Oh, that's when I he wears love the hoodie Olive in Olive Kitteridge in the masterpiece HBO film Olive Kitteridge, a masterpiece theater and HBO co-production yeah. Olive Kitteridge. <laughs> oh my god, that movie. Anyway, it's like cocking gun. Yeah, I think about Girl, it. I think about it every time now. Theaters. <laughs> people in people in in in, in Walbridge, Michigan, in Waterloo, are, Iowa, are just like, yeah. oh my god. Kate Blanchett draws a gun. They don't know who Kate Blanchett That blonde draws a gun, boys. <laughs> boys. And again, I actually really hate that what I'm doing right now is in summation cutting off Brandon. Thank you so much. But I think that we should make a toast to President McKinley. What? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it's a like the, one of the most romantic scenes in Carol. And one of the best... Okay, and one of the best lines in Carol, when Carol and Therese show up in Waterloo, or I'm sorry, in um, in Ohio, I don't remember where the motel is, and the woman oh. behind the hotel counter says how handsome the presidential suite's rate is, or how attractive it is, and then Therese says, why not do the presidential suite if it's attractive? Mm-hmm. And then she and Carol are like applying different scents to each other as they're listening to the record that Therese got Carol for Christmas that Mm -hmm. she played for her in her home earlier and it's very romantic and very intimate and they're hanging out and it's they're like smelling each other's necks and then there's like just a brief pause and Carol raises her glass and says 
to President McKinley. That's right. Because they're in the presidential suite. Aww. Now that I've explained it, I was just going to say we should raise our glasses. And have I don't a know toast anything of... left. Neither do I. Neither do I, but I didn't think that our listeners knew that. Um, I've just wanted to raise a glass I've to President McKinley and call it Jesus fucking Christ. I'm trying to tie this up in a nice bow at the end, and you're working against me. Isn't that always the case? Yeah, and I'm going to be the one who comes off looking rude at the end. Wait, I have one more thing to say. <laughs> right. Say try, to, try to wrap it up, bitch. Try again. All right, can I just say that Christmas, holiday break, all the, all the gays went home to their families... In 20, what year is it? 2016. And we all just watched, we all just watched Carol. That would be 2015. No, it wouldn't. It would have been 2016. December 2016. Last holiday season. Why are we talking about last holiday season as opposed to the holiday season in which Carol Because Carol wasn't available on our screens. Okay, but they saw it on... In the movie theater, we're talk- he's well, talk- well, I'm, I'm talking. Well, I don't know what Brendan's trying to say. I'm not gonna. <laughs> that's I'm what I thought he was trying to say. That's why I'm no, asking. No, no, no. I'm talking about when the film came out on Blu-ray disc. Okay. And the gays were were getting it for their for their Christmas treats, and they were showing it to their Midwest and Southern families, and we were all just enjoying Carol on gay Twitter. And I hope we do that again in 2017. I hope it becomes a tradition. That's all I have to say. Thank you so much. I've watched it. It's been the first movie I've watched of the year. Two years in a row now. I, I'm st- I stole that from you. And I will be so doing, doing it that. again this year. Yeah, same. On New Year's Day, I will watch Carol. So please, let's encourage all. Yes, on New Year's Day, watch Carol. Let it be Carol's Day for you and your loved ones. Oh, boy. You look like you have something to say, Daniel. I was just going to say, just when you think it can't get any worse, you run out of cigarettes. That's all. Oh, yeah. Aww. That's a moment. Oh, that's so good. All right. <gasps> On that note. We've had a lot to say tonight. It's Todd Haynes. It makes sense. And we're all going to go. Well, Ben, you're already home. But Brandon and I are going to go home and continue to think about. We're going to watch Milton Pierce. I'm going to start yeah. Milton Pierce. Yeah. Available yeah. on HBO Go, bitch. HBO now. Amazon Prime. And Amazon Prime. It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah, HBO oh. has a deal with Amazon. Fuck yeah. Hell yeah. yeah. Joan Crawford is rolling it. in her grave. Truly. That we are not talking about her right now. That's a good point. All right, um, boys and girls. Let's wrap it up. This is Movies IMO. I'm Ben Empey. You can find me on Twitter at Real Todd Haynes. <laughs> I am not Todd Haynes. Christine Vachon has blocked me on Twitter because I think I'm Todd Haynes, but I know I'm not. I'm just a fan. Are you like the little boy in birth who thinks that he's in the Cole Kidman's ex-husband? Yes. But you know you're not. I know I'm not. Go take a bath then. And Movies IMO is at Movies IMO on Twitter. I'm Brandon Kirby, and on Twitter I am at BK Kirby. I'm Daniel Crook, and nothing moves me like watching Julianne Moore have a glass of milk. Um, My Twitter handle is Daniel Crook with three O's in the last name. I just love a good glass of milk. Fulvia! Fulvia! (laughs) Fulvia! (gasps) Next week, we're going to be talking about BPM, Beats Per Minute. I can't wait to talk about that. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm excited to talk about it. I'm the only one who's seen it so far. Woohoo! Yeah. And what did you think? I fucking loved it. Nice. 
preview nice. for next week. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully I'll watch the class. Brandon watch fucking it. loved it. You haven't seen the class? I'm sorry, rewatch the class. Oh, the class is great. It's been a long time. I love. I haven't class. seen this well, in theaters. You know, uh, Robin Campillo is that the name of the director for BPM? Yes. He wrote, co-wrote the class. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know. And that. the class is a movie about people exchanging ideas openly in a room and mm-hmm. bouncing off one another and consensus building. So I'm curious to watch BPM and explore the same ideas. And Robin Campillo. Oh, 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 Robin. It's Robin. Are you making up for the fact Robin. that we called her Agnes? Berta? Agnes. Agnes. Like I'm one to pronounce anything correctly. Anyway, he also wrote um, the new film from Laurent Contero. I can't pronounce his name either, but the director of the class, The Workshop. Mm. The which, Palm Door winning filmmaker. Yes. Of the class. Which, um... The workshop, which comes out next year, so let's take the class. Minute. The workshop. I'm gonna take the GRE next week. I'm All ready right. to go back to class. Same. Wow. Let's just take a moment before we wrap to celebrate the fact that the Square is the highest-grossing Palme d'Or winner since Blue is the Warmest Color. Which wow. Is pretty exciting. Yeah. I'm especially thrilled as so a fan far. of Force Majeure. Ben, how do you feel about Force Majeure? Do you know what my answer is? is yeah, you don't answer? like it. I know I full well. Like, I think Force Majeure is fine. Well, then Good. you're definitely not going to like the square. Have that is literally the, the last, like, no one has said that. Everyone is like, <laughs> it's such a step yeah, forward. Yeah, no, everyone's just saying, you're wrong. <laughs> no, not a lot of people agree with me that Force Majeure is just fine. What? Oh, it's I a, think it's amazing. It's fine. I love to skewer masculinity while exploring Kirby enthusiasm. It's fine. It would be nice if, if all of that was on the screen then. Oh. All I'm talking about is things on the screen. I think nah. about that bus sequence at least once a week. I don't even think about the bus sequence. I think about the drone coming right for his head and the conversation that they're having before no, then. it's a fine movie. My favorite thing about okay. what we're saying now is that none of this is going to be heard. This is just going to be the trail out with, uh, <laughs> with Jane the Jane Fonda, Fonda, Fonda Academy yeah. Awards speech. Okay, on that note, should we call it? Yeah, yeah we're done. done. Good night. The winner is Jane Fonda. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much, members of the Academy, and thank all of you who applauded. There's a great deal to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. I would just like to really thank you very much.